All right. I did forget to uh, mention uh, on the cookies that they're asking us to make. That's not till September 24th. She just wants to know in advance how many can get that. So I think I'm a little hot. I'm a little tinny here, but I've, I've been a lot of other things my wife's called me too, so tinny's not so bad, but... <laughs> So uh, a little over a year after I graduated from college, for for a little over a year, I I worked at Black Hills Packing Plant up in Rapid City, and and they processed and and packaged, you know, primarily beef, and it was a very interesting and educational experience for me. Uh, I worked in the maintenance uh, department, mostly as what they called a parts runner, since I have absolutely no skills whatsoever when it comes to actually fixing anything. Uh, my job was to run around to all the different uh, stores to pick up the things that the, the mechanics would need in order to keep all the equipment running and operating pro- properly. And it was, it was actually a pretty fun job, and it did take me into every single part of the packing plant. But there was one place in that plant that I really didn't like to go at all, and that was the rendering plant. Uh, If you're unfamiliar with what rendering is, I'll just give you a very basic tutorial here. That is the process where they take all of the inedible and otherwise unusable parts of the cow after all the good cuts of meat have been taken off, and I mean even the stuff for hot dogs has been removed at this point, and, and uh, they, they take all those leftovers, they, they stick it into these great big vats that are the size of like small grain silos, uh, and they, they kind of look like that as well, and, and then they cook them. Uh, with this superheated steam to get all the remaining fats out of this material. And, uh, and because their fats are still valuable to sell for stuff. And, and so anything that turns dry and hard and crunchy, they, they pull that out and then they grind that up and that's what they make, you know, dog food and cat food and all that kind of stuff out of. And then what you have remaining is uh, this thick, yellow, slimy goop about the consistency of Vaseline. And I have no idea what they used it for, but that's what they were getting to sell. And I do remember it had one really distinguishing characteristic, and that is it stunk. And I mean, it stunk bad. It was a cover your mouth and or nose, you're going to throw up kind of stink all the time. It was gross. So I, I hated going into that area. One day, after my shift was just ending, the boss came up to me to ask for a favor. He said they were in a bind, all the regular workers were gone, and they needed someone to clean out one of those vats right away. And so that meant putting on rubber boots that went up to your knees, coveralls that would down stuff into there, uh, going inside this vat, which is outside in the sun, so it's over 100 degrees in there. He said I would need to wrap my head in a wet bandana, not only to keep me from passing out because of the heat in in there, but it would also help filter a little bit of the stench uh, down like that. And I was about to tell him, no way uh, am I going to do that, when he told me, what they would pay me to do it. This wasn't going to be part of my regular hourly wages. They were going to give me a special bonus payment for doing it, and I'd never received that much money in one shot before for for one gift. So I was thinking to myself, you know what? 
I can put up with just about anything for a short time when the payoff is good enough. And so I took the job. The reward was a strong enough motivation to overcome the difficulties that I would face in doing it. And you know, God works in a very similar way with us. Let's grab our Bibles and we're going to open up to Matthew 25 again, the same parable we've been using as our starting point for the last several weeks. And now we're uh, going to be our final Sunday in looking at uh, this issue of what it means to be a slave of Christ. And this time our focus is going to be on that final payoff. So follow along. I'll read just that one verse again. Matthew 25 verse 23 says this, His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Father God, again, we just pray that you would open our hearts and minds as we, as we desire to learn from you this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So God uh, uh, wants us to understand this. Uh, there is benefit to being a slave of Christ. Now, for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at various benefits that have all been ours currently. This is what we receive right now as a, a slave of Christ. This is what is true for us right here and now. Uh, we are in possession of them uh, even as we speak. But as you continue to read and study your Bible, you're, you're going to find that there's more and more of those benefits that I never even got to or mentioned. I mean, for instance, I've spent a, a great deal of time talking about the fact that as slaves, we are called to work. Every single one of us has duties and obligations to perform. Our master, though, doesn't just call us to work. He actually equipped us and created us to work. That's what Ephesians 2.10 says. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them, meaning we would do them. Jesus has stuff for us to do. And it's not just, you know, religious, spiritual stuff, although obviously we are called to worship and to fellowship and to uh, study our Bible and to pray and to, to uh, share uh, about Christ, all those things as well. But, but it includes everything we do. It, it includes your job in order to provide for your family, spending time with your spouse if you're married, raising your children if God has blessed you in that way, managing and caring for your household and your finances and all kinds of other what we would call regular ordinary things. But it's never actually just regular and ordinary because what you are doing, you're doing for God. That's what Colossians 3.23 says. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord. You know, we think of certain jobs of, well, these are jobs I do for God and then everything else is, you know, whatever. I like the word whatever in that verse, right? Because whatever is, you know, fairly broad. Anything and everything that we do, we're supposed to be doing it as if we're doing it directly for Jesus. The verse ends, as for the Lord rather than men. Everything we do is for God rather than men. And, and it's because you're doing whatever you're doing for the Lord, that means that everything you, you do takes on eternal significance. Whatever job, whatever work you're doing, it, it matters. All of our work matters, whether it's your nine-to-five type of job or giving a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus to the needy or sharing the gospel with the lost and the hurting. All of that is done for the Lord and should be geared towards pleasing Him. And as such, 
anything and everything we do carries an eternal weight of significance. But beyond that, God gives all of us a very specific work that is to be carried out concurrently with everything else we do in this life. And that's the work of being on mission for Him. And our mission, the Bible makes very clear, is is to spread the good uh, news of God's salvation and to help people grow in their relationship with God. That's what we're called to do here. And I'm not going to spend any more time this morning talking about that because that's where we're going to go next in in our series. Now that we're done with slaves, uh, we're going to start uh, talking about that mission. But, But because we all have that mission, our lives have a meaning and purpose. So many people in this world struggle with this whole idea of a sense of purpose. They don't know why they're here and, and they don't know if their life makes any difference. But as a slave of Christ, that question and the questions surrounding that, those have all been answered for you, answered in the affirmative. Our lives do have meaning because we are serving the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the ruler of the entire universe. And they have purpose because he has given us a purpose, which is fulfilling that mission. So we're, we'll get into that as we, as we move forward. But now let's take our thoughts back to this parable and our verse that we're looking at from today. Uh, just a quick reminder of the basics of the parable. You have a wealthy master that represents Jesus Christ. He goes on this long journey, which, you know, uh, is, is the fact that he is now gone from earth, but is going to return at some point in the future. But before leaving on the journey, he, he gathers his slaves together and gives them responsibility and the resources, called talents, so measures of money, the resources to work on his behalf um, And he gave it to each of them according to their ability. Some five, some two, some one talents, whatever. And uh, as he did that, uh, the slaves that then fulfilled the master's uh, wishes uh, represent Christians, uh, you know, those who are truly following Christ. And those that did not, of course, are unbelievers. And when the master returns, he will banish those slaves that did not follow him um, and his wishes, but he will reward those that did. That's the basics of that whole parable. And so then that's the context of verse 23 of the slave that did follow. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. In that one verse, there are three specific benefits of being a slave of Christ. And these are benefits that are yet for the future for us. These are our benefits that are yet to come. When we see him face to face, these are what we'll receive. What we've looked at previously in, in earlier works, uh, those are what we have right here uh, on earth right now, but these will be the benefits when he returns. And the three things we get, as you notice in the verse, are a commendation, a compensation, and a habitation. And so that's what we're going to look at. Let's start with the commendation. The slave has been entrusted with resources from the master to use for the master's good and benefit. So we understand the, the, that what that illustration is telling us is that we, in like manner, have also been given all that we need in order to serve Jesus faithfully down here on earth. I mean, if you ever catch yourself saying something like, oh, you know, I really can't do anything, I want you to understand That is a lie straight from Satan. He would love nothing better than to see you uh, sitting out 
staying on the sidelines, doing nothing. But the truth is, every single believer has been gifted and equipped by God himself. We've been given the resources uh, to use for himself. So putting it in terms of this parable here with the talents, we've all received those talents from God. You are furnished and outfitted with what you need in order to serve. And those who choose to serve faithfully will receive this commendation from Jesus Christ. Well done, good and faithful slave. Now remember, faithful does not mean perfect. All of us will have times of failure. I mean, you become a Christian doesn't mean, okay, now if I'm a Christian and my past sins are forgiven and, and then I'll never have to sin again in the future. It doesn't work that way. All of us will have times of failure when it comes to serving. Faithful means choosing to stick with Jesus and follow him over the long haul in spite of different struggles or failures along the way. Remember the slave who received the five talents? Says he went out and traded with them. But we don't know what happened in that whole span of time between when the master first gave to him and the master finally came out. Chances are, as you know how business works, there were times of ups and times of downs. He lost some, he won some, but in the end, he was able to show that he had used the master's money wisely and had a profit. And that's why the master says, well done, good and faithful slave. That's a, that's a more meaningful statement than it might first appear. I mean, words of affirmation from someone that is important in your life are very powerful. I cannot tell you how many times I have had people sit in my office, youth, adults, people older than me, and through tears, they tell me, I just wanted to hear my dad say once he was proud of me. Or... Maybe they would say about their parents, I just never felt like I measured up. See, there's a, a deep longing within us to know that we're accepted. And if there's someone who means a great deal to you, who plays a, a significant role in your life, we want them to be pleased with us and what we've done and who we are. So who do you have in your life that when they affirm you, it makes you feel like a million bucks? It might be a parent, a spouse, a coach, a teacher, a boss, someone else. Well, whoever it is, you can multiply the impact uh, uh, that you would feel from hearing those words from them over and over again, when you would hear from Jesus, well done. And those words, they're not going to be reserved simply for the uh, Franklin Grahams and the Greg Lorries and, and the people like this in life. They are for people like you and me. Being a godly wife and mother, a faithful husband and father, a biblical friend, uh, a steadfast participating member of a local church body, honoring God with your life, using whatever gifts and talents he might have given you. Those are the people that are going to hear Jesus say, well done, good 
and faithful slave. But the master at the end is going to do more than give that commendation. He's also going to give a compensation. Look again at the verse. It says, you are faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many. Now, now remember, this is a parable. So it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, we as faithful slaves are literally going to be put in charge of a bunch of things in the future. I mean, that could be uh, some, some aspects of what God wants. Uh, uh, some people, you know, tie this into like the millennium or uh, the new heavens and new earth and say that as slaves will be ruling over peoples and groups and stuff like that. And there there's, uh, could be some of that. But I think his main point, obviously, that he's trying to make here is that God is a rewarder of those who are faithful to him. That's, that's what that statement's meant to, to tell us. And of course, you have to know that from the very beginning when you come to God, Right? Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So uh, when we first come to God, we understand that our faith is rewarded by receiving the forgiveness of sins and that type of thing. And, and I don't understand this, but there's some people that really struggle with this idea of God giving rewards. I mean, I've actually heard preachers, I've heard Christians argue against that idea, saying that, well, you know, you should serve God uh, because of who He is and because you love Him. Uh, you shouldn't be doing it for reward. That's kind of base and carnal and, and worldly if you're just doing it for reward. Well, you know, I, I understand what they're saying. I mean, yes, we love God and we want to serve Him from that heart of gratitude and stuff. But the reality is, the Bible teaches God will reward those who follow Him. I mean, in the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah wrote, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. God, God is there examining and wants to reward. I think it's even more uh, clearer in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, I want you to understand this. Again, this is a whole other sermon series, but there are, there are two judgment seats in heaven. The great white throne judgment, you may have heard about, and it's in the book of Revelation, and that's going to separate out the believers from the unbelievers. Um, this judgment will determine your eternal destiny, and it's based on what you did with Jesus Christ. If you trusted him for your salvation, then your sins are forgiven and you are admitted into heaven. If you rejected him, then you're still lost in your sins and you are condemned to hell. That's the great white throne judgment. The, the, this other judgment, the one that's being talked about here in 2 Corinthians, is a judgment simply for Christ, Christians. The, the matter of your sins and your eternal destination has already been settled. Uh, but this one is called the Bema seat judgment uh, for the Greek word for the, the judge's seat there. It, it's an evaluation of your life as a believer. And the words here, as it's saying this, uh, good and bad, they, they do not refer to morality as in sinful versus righteous things. As I said, your sin has all been taken care of uh, before at the great white throne judgment. That's washed away. It's not even visible to God anymore. That's not what he's judging at this point. Uh, the good and bad here refer to um, uh, valuable, as in good, or worthless, as in bad. 
and, and uh, we all have the ability to do valuable and worthless activities with our life once we're saved. Uh, Paul made this concept very clear in the first letter he wrote to the Corinthians back in chapter 3 of that book. He said this, Now if any man builds on the foundation, foundation of salvation, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. So again, it's not talking about salvation. It's talking about an evaluation of your work, the value of your works as a believer. Some things we do, building on that foundation of salvation, are gold, silver, precious jewels. Other things are wood, hay, and stubble. And verse 14 is the key as far as our point today. If any man's work which he has built on remains, he will receive a reward. God is a rewarding God. He, he's going to give rewards. And think about that. Slaves being rewarded for doing what they're supposed to do. I mean, that's, that's pretty awesome. We don't need them. We don't really deserve them. But God is such a loving and gracious master that he's going to give them to us anyway. Now, what are these rewards? Well, we don't know. The Bible doesn't, doesn't tell. It, it just says he is a rewarder of. Uh, uh, now, some people think they might be crowns because, right, there's four different crowns mentioned in the New Testament. Uh, you have the crown of righteousness in 2 Timothy 4.8, the imperishable crown in 1 Corinthians 9.25, the crown of life in James 1.12, the crown of joy in 1 Peter 5.4, all these different crowns. But as you read them in context, uh, those aren't really uh, based on your works, your your deeds as your life, and, and they might all kind of be just a variations of, of, of the general reward of heaven in the end. It, it's hard to say. So specifically, what the rewards are, we don't know. The Bible doesn't nail it out for us. It doesn't say, all right, you do this, you get that. It's, it's not the way it works. It, it is a reward for the faithfulness that you show. And here's what I'm thinking. If God's the one doing the rewarding, I'm guessing it's pretty good stuff. I don't think we have to worry about that. We're going to be rewarded. That's a pretty awesome thing. And that leads us into the final, the third benefit we'll have yet in the future as slaves. We have a commendation, a compensation, and finally a habitation. Matthew 25, 23 ends with the master saying, enter into the joy of your master." Our final and eternal habitation as slaves of Christ will be a place of joy that is designed by, ruled over, and constantly in the presence of the Master. In other words, heaven. And, and talking about heaven, I mean, that could be a, a whole new sermon series, but if you've been a Christian very long, you already know some of the very basics uh, of what heaven is like. I mean, this is a place where we are going to receive our glorified bodies, perfect bodies, no more disease, no more deformities, no more disabilities, no more aches and pains, just perfection in your body. There will be no more sin, no more wrong thoughts or desires, no wrong actions or words will ever come out of you or anybody else, which means we'll be able to have the perfect relationships 
with one another. There'll be none of this uh, hidden agendas and, and uh, manipulations and all of those things will be gone. It'll be perfection. There will be fullness of joy, perfect peace, complete contentment, and, and on and on we can go about heaven. I mean, we could sum it up by saying that heaven is total awesomeness. That's really what it is. And by the way, I hope you understand when I say heaven, uh, the, the Bible declares that what we, the, the final destination is a new heavens and new earth, a, a physical place for physical beings to live. And we will have everything that God created us to have before sin wrecked the world, and we will be able to fully enjoy it all because we have entered into the joy of the Master. Now, have you ever tried to think of how much joy the Master has? Right? Keep saying we're going to enter into the joy. Well, how much, master does, uh, how much joy does the Master have for us to enter into? I mean, He has full and complete, unadulterated joy. It is lacking nothing. And the Bible makes it clear that this state of joy in heaven lasts forever. That's why the life we receive from God at the point of salvation is called eternal life. That's our benefit for being his slave. Now, in the middle of this series, we studied Philippians 2, 5, and 8, where we learned that Jesus became a man, made himself a slave in order to provide salvation for us, but also to show us how to live as God's slave. He faced some really hard things as a slave, right? You've read the story of Jesus Christ. Humiliation, beatings, rejections, crucifixion. Well, he showed us how we can face the difficulties of life as that slave. Hebrews 12.2 gives us the secret that he used, and that's the secret that we can use. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God, uh, the throne of God. Like Jesus, we can endure anything. We can put up with any difficulty because of the joy set before us. See, his eyes weren't focused on the cross or the pain or the humiliation. They weren't set on his present circumstances. Instead, it says that he was thinking of the joy that was set before him. And that's the same thing that we must do. And it's because we know that all these benefits are ours that we can endure whatever labor and whatever hardship that we may have to face as a slave of Christ. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul was talking about in, when he wrote 2 Corinthians uh, 4, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison, why we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. As you face difficulties, heartaches, trials today, what are you looking at? He says, don't look at these things that are seen. Is your focus on the person who rejected you? The pain that you're suffering? 
the hurt that's coming your way, the hardship you have to face, and nobody else has to go through these things. The Bible tells you, set your eyes on the joy set before you, the things that are not yet seen but are promised to the slaves of Christ, and we can endure. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the, again, just the opportunity to look into your word and be reminded that this life is not as good as it gets. This life is not all there is. We have an eternal home waiting, a joy set before us, real and certain. And like Jesus, teach us to set our eyes on that truth, on that joy set before us so that in this life we can face our difficulties and our hardships knowing that we triumph in the end. Thank you, God. Thank you for the joys and the good things we can experience down here. But thank you that those good things are nothing but a glimpse of the complete and eternal joy that will someday be ours. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll have one final song as we close off.